0: greetings to this part of the service i uh, am amazed at the wisdom of god i shouldn't be amazed but he says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together because of what it does for us what has transpired this morning is amazing and i think the right word right use of the word awesome So, uh, just want to welcome you here. Actually, I think I left my notes down in that folder right behind you there. I thought I had them along, but they're in this stack of papers here. If I didn't give them to someone else, they're in here somewhere. Um, someone had asked me a few weeks ago after Brian had shared whether I will be next in sharing the ministry and where we're at. And I said I will not unless the Lord moves, unless, unless I have a reason I won't jump on the bandwagon just because everyone else has done that. I had seriously considered that I might this morning, but I will not. I did not feel a real clearing to go ahead with that, although the Lord is doing things in my life. I did not feel clear to share, and maybe because he's not done yet, but that's why. So uh, I won't go there. Actually, um, Doug, are you here? I was uh, going to share some handouts. Yeah, you can do that a while. I'm actually going to have a teaching this morning that I would have shared at the CLE. So, uh, we can shift gears a little bit from a, uh, the setting we had to a little more of a classroom setting maybe. But we want to teach the Word of God this morning. And there's handouts so that you can, uh, fill in those handouts. And we're going to as we go through the lesson. There'll be, uh, certain parts where I can ask you to fill that in if you have a pencil. Everyone should take one that goes to school that can write. I think we have enough for that. And if there isn't enough, I have some. Uh, by the way, you will notice that I'm using recycled paper. There's a reason for that. You will hear about it later. Um, that was not an accident. Um, don't don't turn it over and look at the other side. Just look at the side where it talks about personal finances. So uh, we'll talk about that. So uh, okay, like I had said, I had a workshop given to me at the CLE convention to teach teenagers about personal finances. And I thought it might be about time that we would teach about money, possessions, and um, in fact, Jesus seemed to think it was very important. As he talked about money, um, thousands of verses in the scripture talk about money, and um if you look, most of you have it. If you look on top of the sheet there, you have a it's a blurb that I accepted. I accepted that blurb that I will be teaching on this, and it said, "Discipline is essential to a successful life. Discipline is a key to managing personal finances. Come learn practical ways to curb impulse buying and plan for long-term goals rather than to give in to immediate pleasure." And I latched on the word discipline and decided I'm going to divide discipline, and you have it there, five different disciplines, and that's what we want to go over. Probably, it's going to be too long. I may actually have to divide it up. The time is pretty well spent, and I thought um, the hour wasn't long enough And that morning that I did it, so it's a little longer yet now, so I'm probably going to only go halfway through, and we'll have to come later on. When you think of the word discipline, what comes to your mind? I'm talking, I was talking, okay, let me get back up a little bit. I'm going to give it to the youth in this room. My my message is going to be talking directly to young people. But I think us older people can learn something from it too. Especially if we're supposed to be teaching the younger ones, we should know it ourselves, right? So, But I'm going to be teaching directly. So when I'm talking about discipline young people, what do you think about when you think of the word discipline? And, of course, younger ones, do you have something to say, Mike, Joshua? No? Okay. What, dad to to what your dad used to do to you. <laughs> what did he usually do to you? <laughs> well, when you think of the word discipline, does the word produce a negative or a positive response in your mind? When a child is corrected or spanked, he is getting disciplined, and that's not a lot of fun, but the scripture says this, and I, I, I um, don't know which version I got it out of. I think it might be the English Standard Version. I have it written here in Hebrews 12:11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, is discipline negative or positive? Very positive, according to God. Well, what is the opposite of discipline? I asked young people that, and I said, uh, well, undisciplined, of course, or I got a number of words out of a dictionary, unmanageable, wild, unruly. Disobedient. Disorderly. Disruptive. Today, yous are all exhibiting a high level of discipline sitting here. And I, for one, am glad. I'm not, I'm glad you're not disruptive or disorderly or, uh, unmanageable. <laughs> I'm glad you're not. But the question for you is, Are you this disciplined in every area of your life? What about your eating habits? Are you as disciplined like this that you sit there and you, you know what to eat and you know what not to eat and you're disciplined? What about in your school studies? This is for children. Are you disciplined in your school studies? What about your work? At home or away? What about in your emotions and your temper? And how about your finances? Are you disciplined in your finances, which is the subject this morning? Did you ever try to do something new and you weren't good at it? And then you kept on doing at it, and eventually you got good at it. Like suppose for your children, someone gave you a flashcard and it said two plus two on it. And you, let's see, four, and you got it. But after a while, you were disciplined in it, and you, a flash flashcard comes up, four, four. And you got it because you are disciplined in that area. That's how discipline works. Like riding a bike takes discipline. Uh, baking a cake, I think, takes discipline. Shooting a bowl or a gun, you won't be good at it until you discipline yourself and you do it over and over and you will get good at it if you discipline yourself at it. It becomes a habit. It becomes a way of life. We can become disciplined in every area that we train ourselves in. The definition of discipline, as I am using the word, is to train or develop by instruction and exercise, especially in self-control. And so we want to become learn some disciplines about our personal finances today. Have you ever heard, has anybody here ever heard of the marshmallow test? A few. Oh, yeah, I told you it, right? (laughs) The marshmallow test. I think they did it initially in the 60s, where they took, put a child in a room by himself or herself, a five or six-year-old child. They uh, put a marshmallow on a plate in front of the child and said, now, if you We're going to let you alone for about 15 minutes. If you don't eat the marshmallow now and you wait till I come back, you'll get two marshmallows. The marshmallow test. And they did a study, did a follow up study of the children who did not eat that marshmallow but waited till the second one came and they followed those children. And there was a uh, there was evidence of self-control that followed with them to a more successful life. Those who exercised discipline had more discipline as they went on, and their life was their school study that had a number of different criteria that they looked at. I don't remember what they were. But that's the marshmallow test. Self-control does correlate to success in life. So this morning, we will look at five disciplines, probably only three. Number one discipline that we want to look at is stewardship. I'm going to read a few verses, and then we'll get to a, 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 main, a main verse, but I'll just read a few right here. Stewardship. Who owns everything? Genesis 14:19. And he, this is Melchizedek, blessing Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram. Of the Most High God, Possessor of Heaven and Earth. The Most High God is the Possessor of Heaven and Earth. Psalm 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And Psalms 50, verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. And then you can turn to Luke chapter 16, and we'll read a a sizable passage here about stewardship. Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1. And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg, I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou of my lord, unto my lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take that bill, sit down quickly and write fifty. And said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take that bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the right amendment of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least, which is least, is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is another's? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Like the prodigal son, this steward had wasted his master's goods. Do you know what prodigal means? Anybody have any idea what prodigal means? The definition of prodigal. It means a son who runs away from home, right? No. No. Prodigal means extravagantly wasteful, or um, I might have to have it written down here somewhere to have it, but it means being wasteful or, um, um, can't think of one other word, but anyhow, so this man was wasting, he was a prodigal steward in his master's house, he was wasting his master's goods just as many people do today. The principle of stewardship is that all that we have comes from the Lord and must be used for the good of others and the glory of God. We are not owners. We are stewards of his possessions. And one day we give an account of what we had done with what God has given to us. Jesus did not commend this servant for being unrighteous. He just commended him for taking the opportunity that he had. Because he had an opportunity, he took it. And he made use of an opportunity. And then he goes on to say, well, you're faithful in least, you're also faithful in much. So if we take use of the opportunity God has given us, which in this case is the unrighteous mammon. It's the thing that God has given to us. We have, whether it's our possessions, our money, our talents, all those things God has given to us. God says, use them to your opportunity. And he's actually saying an indictment against God's people. He says, the people of the world use their opportunity better than God's people normally do. That's not a good indictment of what we do with the things that God has given to us. But Jesus said that, not me, okay? I didn't say that of you. Jesus said that of us. The key is faithfulness. The unrighteous mammon or money is the least, but the eternal riches are the most. If we use God's wealth as he wills, then he will give us true riches which are our own. This is what I told the young people. The most important thing you need to learn is this. That God is the owner of everything. God is the owner of everything. You and I are stewards or the managers of what God gives us. He gives us life, health, time, talents, and abilities. He puts parents and teachers in your lives to orient you, orient you emotionally and socially and spiritually. All the things that we have is in our control of what we're going to do with it. And we're responsible for everything in our processions. Let me give you an example. I tried, I'm trying to give you an example. Let's imagine you would borrow, a, uh, I'm talking to youth now, you borrow a bike for a month. You get this bike for a month. You have it for one month. In one month time, it goes back. You take it home. Is it yours now? What do you think? Is it yours? You take it for a month. Okay. <laughs> but you can use it for one month. But you know at the end of the month it goes back. I remember the first time I saw some children ride bikes down steps, concrete steps, and I thought, wow, what an abuse. Now, maybe someone used to do that. I don't know. Uh, to me, that was an abuse of, a, of something. What about you take the bike home and you let it out in the rain? Get it rusty. Maybe you can let it park behind the car where it gets backed over. One month later it goes back and you need to give an account of what the bike is like. It goes back with the expectation that it goes back in a similar way in which it came. <clears throat> You know, that brings some accountability and responsibility to bear as you use that bike during the month when you have it. In contrast, if you own the bike, it's not going back. It's yours. You can do whatever you want with it. Of course, you can take good care of it or you can abuse it. Depending on... But the point is, it starts and ends up with you. It's your bike. You can do with it what you want. It's not someone else's. But when you borrow something, you know there's a day of accountability coming. You will know it will, it will go back sometime and uh, be a, yeah, you need to give account to it. I want to give one other story, a story of Joseph in Potiphar's house. You all know that story. Well, I'm going to read that in Genesis 3, uh, 39 verses 3 to 6. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put in his ha- he put in his hand. And it came to pass, from the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in his house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. Now, what was Joseph in this household? Anybody know? What was Joseph in this house? Was he the owner? No, he was just a steward. Actually, he was a slave. But as a slave, he was given the opportunity of a steward to take care of his master's things. Was anything that he was taking care of his? Nothing. I don't think he owned anything. So, if something was ruined or misused, who was responsible for the loss? He was, because he was overseeing it. If things went well and prospered, Then, of course, some of the honor would come to him, but Pharaoh would get most of the honor. You know, that's who you or I are. We are slaves to the owner, which is God. Everything that has been given, everything that I have and everything you have has been given to you by God. He has, just like Potiphar had expectations of Joseph, God has some expectations that you and I will use the abilities he's given us according to his household rules and his expectations. He expects you to prosper under his household and someday he'll come and you will give everything back to him. And we could, um, go into another parable but I won't for the sake of time. In Luke chapter 16 we read this verse, no man can, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There are two masters mentioned here. Who are the two masters? God and money. Two masters. God and money are rivals. We have a servant-master relationship with each one either we are a slave to God a servant of God and we master our money a steward of our money for God's sake or we are a slave to our possessions and in that case we're not a servant of God and that happens when we move away from being a steward to an owner when we move away from what, what I have, what I am, and I move away from I'm a steward of God, and I move a, I'm move an owner, I'm in charge, I can do what I want, then we have become, at that point, have no longer a servant of God, become, become a servant of money. Larry Burkett said it this way. He said, it is simple to say, I make a total transfer of everything to God but it's not so simple to do. At first, anyone will experience some difficulty in consistently seeking God's will in the area of material things because we are so accustomed to self-management and control. But financial freedom comes from knowing God is in control. What a great relief it is to turn our burdens over to him. Then if something happens to the car, you can say, Father, I give this car to you. I've maintained it to the best of my ability, but I don't own it. It belongs to you. So do with it whatever you would like. Then look for the blessing that God has in store as a result of this attitude. So discipline is a habit. By habit, let's say it this way: I'm going to say it by habit. Each one of you, each one of us. Consider everything we have as ours or as God's and we're stewards. I don't know. I can't answer this for you. How do you view your possessions? Are they yours or are they, are you a steward of it to use it for God? That's, we either consciously or subconsciously view the money and wealth that we have or earn as our own. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it talks about, Now, a person who is in charge as a manager must be faithful. Now, you can get your paper. I don't know if you have a pen or not, but um, the first part there under stewardship... Now, I can't find my paper here with my stack here. What's the first question there? What does a steward do? Okay, what does a steward do? Anybody want to answer that? Care of somebody else's stuff. There you go. Take care of someone else's stuff. Here you go. Right here you go. Number two, what is the rival of a stewardship? What is the primary rival of stewardship? Ownership. That's exactly right. Ownership It's a rival of stewardship. What is the most important thing required of a steward? Give an account? Okay, he will give an account, but that's not the answer. Yes. To be found faithful. Faithfulness is the most important thing of a steward. And you look at it through, that's right. Thank you. So, the most important you as a Christian must learn is this, that God is the owner of everything you and I are his steward or manager. Okay, we'll go to number two. Number two discipline is acquiring. When you talk about finances, we have to talk about work, don't we? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. What is God's view of work? Is work a necessary evil? Would it be right to say we would really like to serve the Lord, but we have to work? Only if food is important. To you. Excuse me? So only if food is important to you. Only your food? Only if food is important Important. Only if food is important to you. Okay. If food's not important to you, then you don't have to work. Okay. <laughs> Good. I like to read in a, a few scriptures here about work. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistle shall it bring to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Here is where some get the idea that work is a necessary evil. I have met people who have that kind of attitude. It is part of the curse, Right? What do you think? Work part of the curse? No, no. Work is not part of the curse. Work is a part of creation. Like marriage, like the seven-day week, work precedes the fall. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it that is where God gave what some people call the um, dominion mandate, I think. It is God's plan that people will use the earth and its resources wisely that God has put in it. And to find out what God really thinks about work, you can look at the opposite. Slothfulness. God has a lot to say about slothfulness. I'm going to read two verses. In Proverbs 18, verse 9, He also that is slothful in his work, is brother to him that is a great waster. Great waster? What does the word prodigal mean? He who is slothful in his work is a brother to a prodigal. That's what that means, basically. And Matthew 25, verse 26, when uh, God is judging that one servant, he says, Thou wicked and slothful servant. And there he has slothfulness and wickedness put together. As far as I know, I don't think God has anything positive to say about slothfulness. Sometimes, sometimes I was created, I made some statements already and someone came up with me a scripture afterwards. So you have a scripture where God um, blesses slothfulness come up to me. But as far as I know, God never blesses slothfulness. Zeal, fervency, passion, and all those things. So, is hard work a discipline? I Say yes, it is is a good work work ethic something desirable and it is now there's many people who have good work ethics who just they're not believers that's why god says even the plowing of the wicked is sin and that's true even a good work ethic in a, in a in an evil man it's still not any benefit before god but a child of God who recognizes him or herself as a steward that has a good work ethic, that is pleasing to God. That is God's will. I will give a. I, some of you may have heard this story already, but I'll give you a personal story how I learned, partly learned my. What I, did, I, did I say I have a good work ethic? Do I? I don't know. You don't judge that. But uh when I was got my first job off the farm, worked and uh I was driving truck at a um at a uh, local uh farm related work and uh after the first season or so I had some mishaps. I backed into something. I wasn't a great worker I don't think. But I became dissatisfied with my pay. And I did something that maybe you shouldn't do, but I went to my boss and I complained. I said, I'm not getting paid enough. My brothers were in construction. They were getting paid quite a bit more than what I was. And my boss explained, well, construction, is that's a little different than this kind of work. And he just explained, and he explained to me that some of my work um, wasn't the best, you know, wasn't that great. But and I wasn't happy at all. But he did give me a small raise. But I was not happy. Then there was a scripture verse. And I was not a Christian. But you know God's word is powerful. It is sharp. There was a scripture verse that stuck into my heart. When uh, John the Baptist, when the people were coming to him, the soldiers came to him and said, well, what shall we do? And one of the things they said is, be content with your wages. Somehow, that stuck in my heart be content with your wages so my focus shifted from being complaining and dissatisfied with it my focus shifted i'm going to do everything i can to bless this man my employer and i put my heart into my work and we had a busy spring and we worked i was there early in the morning i worked till late at night and we worked we had a we had a good season and I didn't say a word. At the end of that, and things slowed down and we could breathe again, my my boss called me over and he said, hey, he thanked me for the good work that I put in. And I think I got the biggest pay raise in percentage-wise I ever got in my life after that. God's Word. We're talking about the discipline of Acquiring. Let him that labor work with his hand that which is good. Now, here comes another, another, uh, another thing that we could look at. Working with your hand a thing which is good. Can you think of any work that is not good or beneficial? Can you think of jobs that you would not want to have as a Christian, as a believer? You know, I heard in early Christianity that uh, some of the actors got converted. And if it the only thing they knew, it was how they supported themselves, acting in those whatever plays they had. They gave up their occupation with no other means of support because it was a wrong occupation for them. So, for a believer, there are some occupation that we should not put your heart and labor into. I remember I was a dispatcher, and we were looking for backhauls from when people, uh, when our truck went out to western PA, and there was an excellent backhaul coming in from uh, just, just east of Pittsburgh. It was a brewery. They would bring the beer in by the truckload, paying good. Should I do that? What do you think? Should you Put a roof on a bar, or should you um, do remodeling in in in, in, in a uh, adult shop? Think like that. We can go in all kinds of all kinds of direction. No, take. Let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good. You know, I, am, I appreciate and I support local stores who do not sell some of the things that we wouldn't buy. And uh, those are the stores that can employ our youth. So I would make a plea or I would put this out. Don't be so quick to go to Walmart or Cabela's or the mall. Don't be so quick to go there. If there are better shops, maybe you have to pay a little more. Is it worth it? I don't say it's wrong to go to those places, because I do. But don't be so quick. Vote with your money. It is God's will that we have a good work ethic. And we could, if you're working, you should discipline yourself in your sleeping habits, in your eating habits, in your social habits, so that you can put in a good day's work for your employer and you should use and improve the talents and abilities God gave you. Okay, so what do we have there? Is work a necessary evil? Yes or no? answer is no. Is doing the Lord's work more important than having a good work ethic? They say no, right? Did I get a vote on that? I get a no for that answer, right? Okay. And then what are some unacceptable occupations? You can fill that in in your leisure there sometime. I think we'll go into the heart of it, the message yet, and then we will stop. And that will be the next discipline. The next discipline is spending. This is the heart of that blurb that we read first. And I asked the question of the young people, which is the easiest to do? Is it easiest to earn money or spend money? Which do you like to do better? Do you like to earn or do you like to spend? Which do you need more encouragement in doing? To be a hard worker or a hard spender? And I told the young people that they are a product of the 21st century almost all of them don't remember anything of the 20th century that were in that room if they were born they don't remember anything about it and the wealth and consumerism of the 21st century is all they know when I was a child and I know some people don't like that when I was a when I was a boy bread cost 10 cents a loaf now look how expensive it is well I'm not going to go quite that way but when I was a child, we had three cereals with Rice Krispies, cereals, and cornflakes. And I remember going to the store with my mom and seeing those sugared cereals there, and she wouldn't buy them. They were way too expensive. They cost almost a dollar a box. And there weren't any, any horning stores or BBs around either. I'm going to tell you about my childhood. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to try to step on any toes, but when I, when we were ch- children, we didn't go out to eat at restaurants at all. We went on a trip. We packed food. Uh, the Pretzel Hut down the down the down the road here. Back then, it had a sign that Pretzel Hut and it had like a Savin' Up was part of the what was on the sign, and I looked at Seven Up. What's 7-Up? think thing had something to do with the hill beside the sign there. <laughs> now, we did go when Dairy Queen had sale. and You buy one, get one free Sunday. We went out and we got Dairy Queen ice cream. That was a treat. So basically, I'm not stepping on any toes. I'm just giving an example. You young people, you know nothing except the 21st century of consumerism and and the wealth of our day. But, I had a happy childhood without 7-Up, or without a lot of stuff. Like Jesus said, our life does not consist of the abundance of things we possess. But as I grew older, I needed to learn how to curb my spending, just like you will have to. Or have to. So the first thing to remember is what? When you're considering spending your money, what should you think first? What did you learn so far? Before you spend any money, what should you think? Hmm? Who owns the money? It's not my money. That's right. It's not my money. Jesus bought me, I belong to him. My life is a reflection of his work in my heart and I am a steward. Did you ever hear the word contentment? You ever hear that word? There are some other words that describe it. Satisfaction. Gratefulness. And we're talking about spending now. Does it impulse spending stem from a contented heart? Well, we're going to look at a few things that might destroy contentment. There was a group of people who decided one time that the world was too materialistic. So they decided they're all going to move away together and they're going to go in an area, in a wilderness area, and they're all going to build one room wooden shacks. Good. Did that. Got that done. Now we got rid of materialism. One morning, one man got up and looked out of his wooden one-room shack, and he noticed that his neighbor's wooden one-room shack had a chimney. And he said in his heart, I want one like that. What phenomenon have I just described to you? Could be peer pressure. Could be a a couple of different words. Okay. I'm going to give a scenario that none of you are probably in quite exactly. You are a boy in high school. At your school, there's an in-group that you want to be in. But to be in the in-group, you need to do what the group says is important. One of the unspoken requirements is that you need to wear brand name clothing which with designer labels on them. And that clothing costs two or three or five times as much as regular new clothing does. Now, none of you are exactly there. But some of you are there in part. Because peer pressure affects us all. If if you remodel a room in your house, just one room, you remodel, you do a good job, it looks really nice. But you know what else happens? What do the rest of the rooms in your house begin to look like? They begin to look more drab and more dingy and maybe a little more old-fashioned. That's what happens when one of our friends gets a sweater or a car or a truck or a gadget or whatever. It's really nice. It has an effect that goes beyond the one who buys it. It has an effect on the others around that person. Sometimes that is done intentionally by the person buying it. Other times it's not but it's called peer pressure. We're talking about spending. Peer pressure goes beyond just your peer group. You can be you can have pressure from other sources. Do any of you have magazines in your houses? You got magazines in your houses? Magazines are going almost out of date in some circles, but we still have magazines. What kind of magazine do you get? Now, I told you already about Consumer Reports. You all know the story how we quit getting it because all those new things made myself and my children unhappy with what we had. But there's the same thing is true with other magazines. Um, I'm only going to use two examples. And I don't know. The Pampered Chef have a magazine catalog. Okay. That's not quite right. Well, Cabela's. Let's say Cabela's. Okay. We're going to use Cabela's for an example. Not that I have anything against Cabela's. Here comes the Cabela's magazine. And you open it up and you go through it. What does it do to you? And there's a lot of other advertising online and other places like that. If you want contentment, which is a root of curbing, impulse buying, and some other things, you may need to limit or cut yourself off of this peer pressure of, uh, of advertising and so on. Sports and hobbies can be harmless and even good. Uh, we as a family paid for what we thought was an extravagant price for binoculars one time, and we told our friend, one of our friends how much we paid for it. And they thought, too, it was an extravagant price. Until we found out what a good gun scope costs. And all of a sudden, our binoculars seemed like child's play. Wow. Point is, what am I saying? I say carefully consider the money that we spend on sports and hobbies. That's the point I'm making, okay? Not that I'm shooting any shooting, it's the right word to use right now, since so we're using guns, right? <laughs> but I'm not not—I'm not picking any. Just that we are talking about spending, using God's resources, so we can waste a lot on sports and hobbies. Economize is another way. Proverbs 18.9 said, He also that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a great waster. Now, it's beyond the scope of this message to talk about all the ways you can economize. There's many ways you can save money, do without, uh, go lower. Uh, well, it's not always, lower quality is not always the best, not always. But I'm going to just give me just give one example. I have seen children go into the washroom to wash after going to the bathroom, and then they wash their hands, they turn the water on, they let it run, then they go get the soap and they're they're washing their hands, and the water's running. After a while, they go and they get the water, and then, then they get an extravagant, what I call extravagant, amount of paper towel to dry their hands. That's just an example of what I would call wastefulness. And then I was over in the bathroom, and it said, you should wash your hands for at least 20 minutes. And Myron pointed out to me just before the message here. So, but, but uh, frugality, economize. We, as a culture, we waste a lot. We waste food. Food spoils. Unused clothing sits in our house. And we keep on buying more. All the while, the precious resources entrusted to us by God slips through our fingers. So, as a youth, have a, be a generous person. Have a generous personality. But learn the discipline of frugality, economy, and contentment. Be fulfilled in who you are in Christ. Receive fulfillment with godly friends and in serving others. Recognize that God gives us many good things to enjoy, but luxury and self-indulgence is wasteful of God's gifts and is dangerous to the soul. Now I I uh, got this I found this it's anonymous so I don't know who to give the source to but I found this uh I guess this essay they call it Mr and Mrs Thing Mr and Mrs Thing are a very pleasant and successful couple at least that's the verdict of people who measure success with a thingometer when the thingometer is put to work in the life of Mr and Mrs Thing the result is impressive There he is, sitting down on a luxurious and very expensive thing, almost hidden by a large number of other things. Things to sit on, things to sit at, things to cook on, and things to eat from, all shiny and new. Things, things, things. Things to clean with and wash with. Things to clean and things to wash. Things to amuse and things to give pleasure things to watch and things to play, things for the long, hot summer and things for the short, cold winter, things for the big thing in which they live and things for the garden and things for the lounge, things for the kitchen and things for the bedrooms, things on four wheels and things on two wheels and things to put on top of the four wheels and things to pull behind the four wheels and things to add to the interior of the thing on four wheels. Things, things, things. And there, in the middle, are Mr. and Mrs. Things, smiling and pleased as punch with things, thinking of more things to add to things, secure in their castle of things. Well, Mr. Thing, I have some bad news for you. Oh, you say you can't hear me because the things are in the way? Well, I just want you to know that your things can't last. They're going to pass. There's going to be an end to them. Oh, maybe an error in judgment, maybe a temporary loss of concentration, or maybe you'll just pass them off to the second-hand thing dealer, or maybe they'll wind up in a mass mangled metal being towed off to the thing yard. And what about all the things in your house? Well, it's time for bed. Put out the cat. Make sure you lock the door to make sure some thing taker doesn't come and take your things. And that's the way life goes, isn't it? And someday when you die, they only put one thing in the box. It's just you. And that's anonymous. Our things. Now, I'm not going to go into debt when you talk about uh, spending and so on. I think I'll let that go. I'm going to talk about a few more things and then we'll close here. Giving gifts to friends can be a blessing to them and to you. But care should be taken that it's not a waste or a drain from better or more practical uses like giving or saving. Most times it's the thought with the gift that matters more than the gift itself. And so in general, it's a good thing to buy a lower more, lower cost, more practical gifts. There is a place for the expensive and the extravagant gift. There's a place for that. But that should be more of the exception rather than the rule. I'm talking about gifts, obviously, and we're not talking about helping people financially or things like that. So I encouraged the youth there, and they can do that, to keep track of every cent you spend From that soda or the donut to the insurance on your car. Uh, Actually, Gary Miller tells a story of a young man that got his W-2 form at the end of the year. Because he worked a whole year and then he got his income. And he was very certain that there was a mistake. He said, there's no way I earned this much money. So he wanted his boss to go over to the office and check things out. So his boss went over to the office and he checked it out. There was no mistake. He had earned it all. The next question was, where did it all go to? I got it, but I had nothing to show for it. Easy come, easy go should not be said of a steward of God. So, let's look at this question here, and we'll close. What one character quality is necessary to curb our spending? Contentment. Contentment. A lot could be added to that, but contentment is the answer. What social situations hinder us from spending frugally? Shopping. <laughs> Shopping. Okay. But not quite what I had in mind. <laughs> it that works though. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. I should I should have put in there can hinder us. And maybe I have in yours, I'm not sure. What activities can divert our time and money away from God? And I'm just thinking of one word, not the particular activities. What activities? Anybody know? Sports and hobbies. Sports and hobbies. That's what I, what we talked about. They can divert ourselves uh, time and money away. And then the last reason, I didn't even talk about debt, so uh, we won't even have to answer that question. Okay, I think we will stop. Else we won't go on a hike this afternoon, and maybe I can... Expand a little bit on the last two and, and finish that some other time. So why don't we we'll just have a word of prayer before I close. Lord, we uh, are grateful to you for the many blessings that you give to us. Lord, you are, have blessed us beyond what we deserve. You've given us what we need. Lord, help us. not take these things for granted but to recognize them as you see them you've given them to us so that we can use them for your glory for your purposes pray you be with each one of us pray you be with us this afternoon as we interact with one another we pray in jesus name amen